This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, good afternoon, gentlemen. It's a real. It's a great pleasure to be here this afternoon. Um, thank you for giving me a few minutes of your time. I want to thank Rabbi Adato for graciously giving me this opportunity to share some thoughts. Uh, you're the future of Claudius, so you're the future of our people, so it's very important to understand, to recognize, to identify what my role is in shaping the future of the Jewish people. I want to thank my dear host, Dr. Phil, who, by the way, is also a very dear chavrusa of mine. We study together every week a few times. We're, we've been learning now for over two years, and we're soon completing what is probably the hardest mesechta in the whole shas, mesechta yivamais. So thank you, uh, Dr. Phil, for uh, giving me this opportunity. You know, we come here, we come to a Jewish school, and we take it for granted. Yeah, we live in the United States of America. You know, in Yiddish we call it, it's the Goldena Medina, it's what we call the Medina Shel Chesed. It's a country that has been a very gracious host to us for over 200 years. And we take it for granted that we could come to a Jewish school and study Torah and be with other fellow Jewish students. But you have to recognize what a great miracle it is that you could come to this school and connect to the Torah today. My grandfather was a rabbi in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania for over 70 years. He was a Holocaust survivor. He passed away about a year ago at 106 years old. He was in all the camps. He was in Auschwitz. He was in Dachau. He was in Radom. And he has many miraculous stories. I'm just going to share one of those stories with you so you get an appreciation for what we're trying to convey. My grandfather was taken to Radom. And from there he was taken to Dachau. Dachau was the machine of the Germans. It was a killing machine. And he was on a selection line. And him and his brother were selected to be taken to the gas chamber. He saw Dr. Mengele. And they were approaching the gas chamber and the heat of the gas and the nearby crematory was so intense that my grandfather's brother said to him, my grandfather's name was Mordechai, Mordechai, please give me some water now. I'm going to die of thirst before I even get inside. My throat is so parched. And my grandfather said, we can't drink now because then our death will be prolonged. And they were literally about to be put in the chamber. And at the last moment, the Nazi grabbed my grandfather's brother by their hair, yanked them out, and said, you guys are capable of work. Get, get out, get out. So from basically the next world, my grandfather was pulled out and his life was saved. And this is one of many miraculous stories that happened. Actually, I'm sure you know you guys are all Bar Mitzvah boys, you put on tefillin every day. My grandfather smuggled in a pair of tefillin into Radom. In Radom, there was one particular brutal Lagerfuhrer named Ficus. If Ficus would have come in and caught my grandfather smuggled in his tefillin, caught my grandfather wearing the tefillin, he would have been shot on the spot. And my grandfather would wake up every morning at the crack of dawn 
he would put on the tefillin shel yad, and then he would put on the tefillin shel rosh, and then he would give it to his brother, Hainach, and Hainach would put on the tefillin shel yad, and then put on the tefillin shel rosh. If they would have been caught, that would have been the end of it. And one particular morning, my grandfather just finished putting on the tefillin, and just then, Ficus barges in, he sees my grandfather's brother, my uncle, putting on the tefillin, he picks up the pistol to shoot them in the head. But then he gets a good look at the tefillin shel rosh. And when the Nazis saw this tzaddik wearing tefillin shel rosh, he was so overcome in terror that he put the gun down and he ran out in fear. And my grandfather said it was an open miracle. You know, the Gemara tells us that when the nations of the world see that the tefillin shel rosh is on the head of a Jew, they are gripped in terror. So even though the Holocaust was a very difficult period in our history, nevertheless, God's presence was very clear in many, many situations. And a very simple thought occurred to me. You know, when my grandfather was being pulled out of that gas chamber, you know, I realized it wasn't just him that was being pulled out. If he wasn't pulled out, I wouldn't be here today. So God didn't just rescue him. God rescued my father. God rescued me. God rescued my children. You know, come to think of it, if if you're here today, and you come to a Jewish school, and you could study the Talmud, and you could study the Chumash, think about how long God has been looking out for you You know, for the last 3,300 years, your ancestors were in Egypt. You know how many people survived Egypt? Only 20% of the Jewish people survived Egypt. 80% of the Jewish people perished in Egypt. But your ancestors made it out, otherwise you wouldn't be here today. And then the destruction of the first temple. Death toll was enormous, but your ancestors made it through. Destruction of the second temple, 1.1% million Jews were murdered by the Romans, but God saved your direct ancestors so that you in San Diego could come to a Jewish school and study the Torah. And then in the 11th century, the Crusades, massacres. You know, in 1391, in Spain, 200,000 Jews were forcibly baptized. It's a lot. 1492, 300,000 Jews expelled. Chalmanitsky pogrom, 17th century. And then the Holocaust. You know, for a Jew to be here today, it's not highly improbable, it's not statistically unlikely, it's downright impossible. You know, people say, well, uh, I wish I could believe in God, but I want to see an open miracle. You know, if God would only show me the splitting of the Red Sea, then I would really believe in Him. But, you know, I I want to see God, you know, the greatest miracle that you will ever see is the face of another Jew in 2022. You know, I'm sure you've heard, I'm sure you've heard the uh, famous words of Mark Twain who writes about the mystery of Jewish survival. You know, he writes, the Egyptian, 
the Babylonian, the Persian, rose, filled the planet with sound and splendor, then faded to dream stuff and passed away. The Greek and the Roman fall. You know, you want to see a relic of the Roman Empire? You could go to the British Museum, and in the British Museum, you'll see a mug, a coffee mug, and there's a little piece of a handle that a Roman emperor once drank a bissel, a little coffee from. Oh, the great Roman Empire. Where are they now? Where's the Persian Empire? Where's the Greek Empire? They made a vast noise and they're gone. Other peoples have sprung up and held their torch high for a time, but it burnt out. And now they sit in twilight or have vanished. Writes Mark Twain, the Jew saw them all, beat them all, and now is what he always was, exhibiting no decadence, no infirmities of age. No weakening of his parts, no slowing of his energies, no dulling of his alert and aggressive mind. All things are mortal but the Jew. All other forces pass, but he remains. What is the secret of his immortality? So Mark Twain, author of Tom Sawyer, (laughs) he's telling us, There's a mystery about the Jew. You belong to a people that is immortal. But I want to share with you some even more powerful words. Because there's a great rabbi of the 18th century. His name was Rabbi Yaakov Emden. And Rabbi Yaakov Emden is sitting in his study and he's thinking about the development of the history of the empires of the world. And he says, how can the heretic, you know what a heretic is, a disbeliever, he says, how can the heretic not be utterly ashamed? He says, I'm going to read to you in Hebrew and I'm going to translate. Analyzing our situation in the world. We, the exiled nation, the scattered sheep, after everything that has happened to us in the last 2,000 years. Rabbi Yaakov Emden raises his hand and he takes an oath. I swear! When I think about the wonder of Jewish survival, it is greater to me than all the wonders that God did in Egypt. You know, we're sitting here at 2020 and we're saying, wow, imagine if we could be around in the time of the Exodus and we could see the splitting of the Red Sea and we could see all the plagues and we could see all those miracles. Then I would really believe in God. Then I would wake up like a half hour before Shachris and I would come running to the shul and I would study Torah all day long. And you know, back then, when God took them out of Egypt, they were saying, if only I could see a real miracle, like a Jew in San Diego in 2022, then I would really believe in Hashem. So the most miraculous thing that you will ever see is your friend, another Jewish individual, is a miracle of HaKadosh Baruch It's an immortal eternal miracle. And you're part of it. 
You know, you have to understand, when you think about, okay, so what's the destiny of our people? What's in store for our people? You know the book of Shemos? You ever, so you read in Shemos about all these miracles that God performed in Egypt. He made ten plagues and He split the sea. Did you know that all of those miracles are just dress rehearsal? It was a practice. What was it a practice for? It was a practice for the miracles that will occur in the times of Mashiach. Every miracle that God brought to the Jewish people 3,300 years ago is what we call Maaseh Avay Simen Labanim. Was a dress rehearsal, was a practice, was a, was a pre-enactment of miracles that are in store for our people in the end of time. So the question is, are we going to hang on to the end? You know, there's a, there's a, fa- there's a funny story um, that Rabbi Nachman of Breslov would say over about a Jewish beggar who had a good friend who was a, a non-Jewish beggar and they used to go collecting together. They used to knock on the doors. They would ask for tzedakah. They would get a dollar. They would get two dollars. They would get 50 cents. And it was coming Erev Pesach. And uh, the Jewish beggar says to his friend, you know, today is the day you really want to be Jewish. So this is what you got to do. Tonight, you're going to put on a yarmulke, you're going to put on some tzitzis, and you're going to come with me. We're going to go to a seder, and at the seder, they have the feast of the year, the feast of the century. They're going to serve fish and soup and chicken, and it's just an incredible feast. So the Gentiles, okay, I'm in. What do I got to do? He said, just follow me. You put on the yarmulke, you put on the tzitzis, we're going to go to a Jewish house because for Pesach, you know, everybody has guests. And sure enough, they got invited by a very wealthy family. And you have these two beggars sitting on the table. One was a Jewish beggar, and the other guy was looking Jewish for the occasion. So they start off to stay there. And everybody gets their cup of wine. So the... The, the beggar drinks the wine. The, uh, the guy looking Jewish, he also drinks the wine. He says, oh, this is ridiculous. I haven't eaten all day. I'm, I'm drinking wine. And he said, shh, don't worry. It's, uh, you, can't, you won't even imagine what's coming up. So the, the uh, non-Jewish beggar is getting a little antsy. He's getting a little restless. And he said, okay, when are we going to eat something? So the first thing that uh, they give out, they give out a radish, and they dip it in the salt water, and the, non, the non-Jewish beggar is like, his face is blowing up. He said, this is ridiculous. What kind of meal is this? And then they pour the second cup of wine. And he said, you've got to be kidding me. Well, you know, when's the food coming? And then one kid after another says, Manishtana. First the youngest, and then the next one, and then the next one. And this non-Jewish beggar, his friend told him, don't eat all day. You've got to leave room because it's going to be the feast of the century. And after, after one Dvar Torah after another, the guy is going out of his mind. So finally, the Jewish beggar says, okay, we're about to wash. Now we'll get ready because uh, it's, it's the moment we've been waiting for. So they all sit down and they hand out this round cracker. And the Jewish beggar is eating it. He's eating it with relish and he gives it to his uh, Gentile friend and he takes a bite. What is this? It tastes like cardboard. So the guy kicks him under the table, shh, don't, you know, you got to play along, we're almost there, we're almost there. Then they give out the marar. And uh, the non-Jewish beggar is so hungry, 
he pounces on the murrah, he eats up all the murrah, and seconds later there's like smoke coming out of his ear, smoke coming out of his nose. He's so upset and angry, and he has permanently damaged his sense of smell and taste, that he runs out, and he goes back to their you know, spot under the porch behind the, uh, the bus station. A few hours later, his Jewish friend comes back, and he looks so satisfied and happy. And uh, so the beggar said, you took me to the worst experience of my whole life. I'm going to kill you. Why do you like, torture me? He said, if you just would have waited a few minutes longer, you would have been in for the meal of your life. But you cut out too early. You cut out too soon. So this is seen as a parable. You know, Jewish history for the last couple thousand years has been challenging, it's been difficult, but we are vouchsafed, we are promised that every single miracle and story that you read about in the Chumash and the Navi, it's going to happen real soon. We already had the Marar. We're about to have the party, we're about to have the Suda. The question is, are you going to bail out on us or are you going to stick around until the end of the party? And that's the most important question that is left in our hands. You see, the most important job in the history of the world has been given to you guys. Because here we are, we're at the precipice of history. We're about to experience all the great promises of the Torah. And we have to make the decision, are we going to hang around till Shulchan Aruch, or did we have enough Mara? And it is our responsibility. You know, I'll end off with one story, it's always a very moving story to me, because I heard about this uh, firsthand. Rabbi uh, Beryl Wine likes to tell over the story that when he was a young boy, in the, in the uh, late 40s, he was a young boy in Chicago, and this was after the Holocaust, in 1946, he was 11 years old, and his father told him, you know, a big rabbi is now coming uh, to Chicago to speak to us, and this rabbi was the first chief rabbi of the uh, Palestine, and that is Rabbi Yitzchak Isaac Halevi Herzog. And he was a very aristocratic, yeah, it was before the, uh, it was before the State of Israel was founded, 1946. And Rabbi Isaac Halevi Herzog was a very... His grandson, by the way, is currently the uh, president of the State of Israel. And Rabbi Herzog comes off the plane. He would wear a shiny top hat. And he had a cane. And he would walk around with his Tanakh. And he gave a shear. He spoke to the young men of the Skoki Yeshiva. He spoke to all the Balabatim, all the, all the entire Jewish community. He gave a 45-minute in-depth shear. And when this class was over, he said, I, now I want to have a word with the young men. And he says to the young men, listen, you know where I just came from? I just came back from meeting Pope Pius XII in the Vatican. And I came to him with a list. And this list had on it the names of 10,000 boys and girls who during the Holocaust, their parents gave them over to monasteries, to priests, to Christian institutions, because the parents didn't think they would survive. And now the parents survived 
We know the names of all these 10,000 boys and girls. We want our children back. Rabbi Herzog said to the Pope, give us our children back. They're ours. We know their names. We have their birth dates. We have all their information. At this point, you're kidnapping them from us. We need our children back. And Rabbi Herzog said, the Pope slammed the door on his face. He said, all these children have been formally baptized. And once a child is baptized, they can never come back to another religion. And Rav Herzog's meeting had ended, and those 10,000 boys and girls were lost forever. And Rabbi Herzog turns to the young men in the Skoki Yeshiva, 1946, and he breaks down crying at the lectern like a baby. Rabbi Wine said he was never so scared in his whole life. This great rabbi is weeping, is crying. He then picks up his head and he says to the boys, there's nothing I can do for these 10,000 boys and girls. They're lost forever. But you're still here. You're still with the program. And I ask of you, what will you do for the future of the Jewish people? And that's the responsibility that every single Jew has today because we're almost at the finish line. We've made it this far. Our great-grandparents, our grandparents, our parents have hung on until this point. And the responsibility rests in our hands as much as we can to connect to the Torah, to study the Torah, to connect with Eretz Yisrael, connect with Torah and mitzvahs. That is our primary responsibility. You know, there was somebody who was once, uh, me and Phil, we, uh, we just... We went down to the water a little bit, and you know there was once this raging river. And a guy was fishing by the river bank, and all of a sudden the bank gave in, and he found himself caught in the river, and the river is pulling him downstream. And it's threatening to drown him. And he doesn't know what he's going to do, because off in the distance there's a big drop, and that will be the end of him. And he manages to see off on the side from the riverbank, there's this tree that's stretching out from the bank into the river. And he knows if he just grabs a hold of that tree, his life will be saved. Question How is this guy going to hold the tree? He's going to say, Well, I'm a righty, but let me see if I could try to grab that tree with my left pinky. Maybe that will do the job. Now's not really the time to try new techniques. This man is going to grab the tree with both arms, with every fiber of his soul, because he knows this tree will give him life. We have to understand that the world that we live in today, the society we live in, the culture we live in, is so dangerous is so threatening to us as human beings, is so threatening to us on a spiritual level. This is a very dangerous, challenging world that we live in. It's like a raging river. But there's a tree of life. You know what the tree of life is? The Torah. But the Torah gives life to those who grab a hold of it with all of their strength. Eitz chayim hi. It's a tree of life to those who grab a hold of it. How are you going to embrace the Torah? Yeah, when my rabbi teaches, I'll listen with like my left ear just a little bit. 
We're going to embrace the Torah with every fiber of our soul. The Torah will give us life, it will give us happiness, it will give us success, it will bring us to the finish line. Thank you very much for listening. I wish you all great blessing and success. Thank you very much. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.